Morning, everyone. When I um, first saw this title, it was only entitled Does God Guide? And I thought, ah, that has the potential to be one of the shortest talks ever. (laughs) I could just say yes, uh, and and that would be it. Um, I think somehow, though, um, might need a bit of substantiating. And um, I think the answer of yes is still there. Um, and the Bible points us there. But um, we'll perhaps have a look at how God guides us and how this is part of discipleship, part of following Christ. So what do we mean by guide when we talk about God and guidance? A guide book such as the famous Dummy series. We think, oh, I've got an idea. I'll go and research it. I'll um, read the book, and then if it's if it's a good book, I'll, I'll follow the advice. So maybe it's something like that, or maybe something a bit stronger. A set of uh, a set of rules that really. Um, we don't have to do, but if we don't, we are breaking certain laws, and those are punishable, but, but only if we get caught. Or is it even stronger still? <laughs> Come in here and you're dead, kind of thing. So, what do we think about when we think about guidance? Um, different Stages or strengths of guidance, we might think. We've recently looked as a church at the whole series on Abraham and we've seen God guide and we've seen God direct. Um, and overall, when we look at those outcomes, quite, quite a mixture of outcomes, but on balance, things look very positive for Abraham and his descendants because broadly, Abraham followed God's guidance. We also have some verses in the Bible that we might well be very familiar with. Uh, One of them is Psalm 119 and verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When we think about God's word, we tend now to say God's word. And we think of this book with the books of the Bible. Uh, When that psalm was written... God's word wasn't this. So we need to just be a little bit aware of that. Um, Obviously the New Testament wasn't there. And God's word was spoken. And when it was said, that was it. It A spoken word was very important uh, in Jewish culture. We're going to come to another character in the Bible. The character of Jonah. And look at guidance from the book of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet uh, to Israel in the era of the divided kingdom. And he gets a mention in the book of two kings. Um, Jesus also mentions Jonah and refers to the sign of Jonah in Matthew 12. So he's a minor prophet, 
but one with, I think, an important message about guidance. We might view it as a fantastical children's tale. And actually, it does happen to be my daughter Emma's favourite. But it's got many serious points, which I think we would do well uh, to take note of. But before we read Jonah, just a couple of things about guidance again. How, How do we view it? Perhaps think about some of the ways we think of and view guidance in our culture. I work in a school and guidance is very important, particularly what happens after school. When you've done your A-levels, where do you go for university? What job are you aiming for? Um, So we seek guidance uh, about particular things or events. But it tends to be only when it's like really important. What about this? We have our own mechanisms. So let's see what happened to Jonah. We're going to read... um, I tried to think about picking things out, but actually we're just going to read the whole book. Um, So we're going to have uh, four different readings uh, to take us through the book of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tashish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tashish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. 
Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, 
Take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade, waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Well, you'll be pleased to know that um, I'm going to draw out a few observations from an overview of the book rather than a a verse-by-verse study. Um, I think the first one, um, or first point I'd like to make, is about how um, God directs and guides and how strong that might be, or otherwise. If we look in Psalm 139, it tells us that God ordains all our days and everyone is recorded. Does that mean that our lives are completely mapped out and we cannot make choices or decisions? Last week we read in James 4 that we should not be saying, I will go and do this, but we should be saying, if it is the Lord's will, we should go and do whatever it is. So does it seem that God has set the world on a path that it can't deviate from? Well, consider Jonah's choice to board the ship in the opposite direction, to run away from God. Why did he do this? Well, I think we get our answer from chapter 4. Um, he knows what God's like. Isn't that odd? The reason he was going in the opposite direction to God's word was because he knew what God was like. So he was going to be called to go to Nineveh and say there's going to be this disaster, but it wasn't actually going to be happening. So what's the real reason It must be Jonah's pride. He doesn't want to be the person that says something that then doesn't happen. So he isn't really submitted to God and God's ways. And that's the fundamental problem with the human race, really. The Bible calls that sin. I mentioned the verse about uh, a lamp and a light, God's word being a lamp. 
the lamp shines in a particular way, not necessarily a specific direction, but it doesn't make us walk in that direction. It lights up a path, if you like. But we could choose to turn around and head back into an unlit path. If God says something, we seem to be drawn to do the opposite. If God says don't, we want to, and we can immediately perhaps have bring to mind the Garden of Eden. If you have any experience of children as well, you'll see this type of effect happen uh, from the age of about 18 months, maybe earlier. Um, you say one thing, suddenly it becomes uh, the opposite is very attractive. So as far as Jonah's concerned, though, it doesn't really matter whether God knew what he would do. He makes the choice. So the fact that God has ordained and knows the choice doesn't actually affect Jonah. It doesn't influence Jonah's choice. God is interested in our choices, whether we decide to follow him or not. God does not always dictate our paths so that we always do exactly as he says. That much is clear. And the next point I'd like to make is that even though... Jonah makes a choice to go against God's guidance. In this case, there's still a good event that happens. Despite the storm and the loss of all that cargo and Jonah being thrown into the sea, those other sailors on board end up praising God, making sacrifices to God and vows to God. They meet the living God through Jonah's disobedience. How's that for an evangelistic strategy? I don't think we should be uh, intentionally setting out on that one. (laughs) But it does show that God can bring good even from our disobedience by his grace. But we can't really overlook the fact that Jonah does suffer for it in that case. And we get a sense of that in chapter 2. He ends up spending a rather desperate three days inside the fish where he calls out to God and we see his prayer. He's repentant and it seems now that he is submitted to God's guidance. And in a sense, the second time the word comes to Jonah in chapter 3, it's probably a little bit stronger because of all that's gone before. The second time the word has come, he's had three days in a fish. Um, So he's now submitted to God, but he still has to go and deliver the message. God does not guide the Ninevites himself. God doesn't really give up on Jonah and say, well, that was a bad idea. I was hoping, Jonah, that you'd do that. Uh, but um, instead I'm going to send someone else or I'm going to just reveal my plan to the Ninevites anyway. Jonah still has to go. So Jonah gets a second chance and this time he obeys and he delivers the message. So I think we can see that God is a God who gives second chances, who gives new life, Because both Jonah and the Ninevites 
gained a second chance through God's grace. I find it intriguing then that after all of that, Jonah is displeased and angry. So he's gone through this experience of hearing from God, the miracle in the fish, the Ninevites having their message. So it's like mission accomplished. But he's displeased and angry. So he goes off and sits and waits. It's a little bit unclear whether he's waiting for Nineveh's destruction or God's next guidance or the next ship home. But he's waiting and he has a bit of a moan. Things are happening just as he thought. God's forgiven them and then... Now what? Well, things aren't right between Jonah and God still. So God gives him a practical demonstration with the plant and the worm, the vine. In a way, I quite like where this story ends at chapter 4. And we don't really know Jonah's final response. Um, but I like to think that because he was prepared to either retell it when he got home or write it down, that it was, a, that it was on reflection a positive one. But this form of guidance, after, if you like, the major events have happened, and we get this guidance by the vine and the worm, this endeavour to get Jonah to progress in his walk with God and draw close to God and a deeper understanding of his ways. It's all about God and Jonah, that guidance. The Ninevites, effectively, they're saved. They're all right. The message has been done. But there's still some guidance there between God and Jonah. There's some healing that needs to go on. But I think we need to be a bit careful how we judge Jonah here. It would be easy for us to look upon somewhere such as Libya or China and think, ah, if only, or isn't it good that that regime has ended? Or, In fact, God loves the whole world. God loves everyone. And the guidance in the Bible, our lamp, our light, the word from God is to love and pray for those who oppose us and who oppose God. So as Jonah sits and waits, he doesn't receive any more guidance to go and give prophetic messages. The Lord leads him to take some time to refocus and reestablish his relationship with God. So in this book, we see several types of guidance. But perhaps we don't see what we might consider the most difficult situation regarding guidance. Not hearing from God at all. It's then we might ask the question, does God guide? Because he doesn't seem to be guiding me now. Consider an episode in the life of Elizabeth Elliot. Some of you may know and have heard of her. She was the wife of Jim Elliot. Now, Jim Elliot uh, was a missionary 
to a tribe in South America and was actually killed by that tribe um, before he could really make uh, that much um, of an impact, it seemed. But his wife kind of took up the reins and ended up living a, a jungle life there. And she tells the story of two adventurers who came past uh, one day. They were heading off into the jungle. They got all the kit, they got all the equipment, um, they'd read up as much as they could and they came with a lot of knowledge and all they really wanted from her was just a couple of phrases that they could then take off with them. And as they encountered this experienced lady who would have made a wonderful guide, they just set off on their own, pleased that they'd managed to get these last two phrases that they needed. So they approached with their own agenda, very, com- very confident, and they sought something very specific. Might they have been better to ask Elizabeth to just be their guide? And I think so it is with us and God. Sometimes we come looking for a specific answer. Should we build a set of stairs here? Yeah, but maybe we should be asking just, God, be our guide, lead us, take us, show us how to be close to you, help us to follow you and become like you. God, we submit to you and your purposes. Now, I'm not saying that the details aren't important, but the guidance is more about being close to God and that we might know God's heart and mind clearly. And the specifics, well, they might not need to be that specific. Because if our personal lives display God's grace, then we will see God's purposes worked out. So lack of guidance can be because we seek a specific answer when there isn't really one that God wants to give. That is a bit of the negative, though. If we are looking for God's guidance rather than experience it directly at present, where should we look? Well, Jonah, it seems he didn't really have to look. God's voice seemed to come to him. Well, that may be happening with us. We may have prompting from the Holy Spirit. But we can go looking, by looking in the Bible. And we can seek the prayers and advice of others. I think it's important if we look to others, that we recognise that we are looking among equals. People who, like ourselves, are not perfect will be struggling in many ways but God can still use you to speak into the life of someone else God can still use someone else with all their imperfections to speak into your life so what after all this if there is no guidance that seems to be direct from God maybe there's a choice our choice Examine your motives and choose. Perhaps time is needed in God's presence. Perhaps we will not hear a direct 
word, but we will know a peace or an unease. If we're genuinely wanting to follow Christ and seek first his kingdom, then this itself will guide us to the right choices. But choices, they remain, and they're often hard paths to take. We can read of people such as Abraham, Jonah, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, and see that although choices can be tough and high costs are involved, God will guide, he will sustain, and he will remain faithful to all that he's promised. To finish with the analogy again of the lamp, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The only way that can happen is if we actually stay within range and close to the light itself.